a new spot. This is my spot now. I think this is much better than the bed. Uh, I'm back, hi guys. It's Nude Year's Eve. Nude Year's Rockin' Eve. Depending on how it goes tonight, not sure if I'm going to have a uh, stream tomorrow, just letting everyone know. Uh, going to see some people socially distanced, but everyone's of course going to be every have every incentive to uh, just pour paint thinner on their brain, because 2020 was an epic fuck waffle of a year. Am I right, folks? Just get this out of the shop. Don't want to do product placement unless I'm getting that paper, which I'm not. Ah. How is everybody doing? How's everybody feeling about a new year? How's everybody feeling about charging the essentially arbitrary calendar change with meaning as a psychic balm for uh, the sense of uh, lack of control and helplessness that we all have. How are we feeling about that? I'm feeling good about it. Let's all pretend 2021 is going to be better, because why not? If it's worse, what's the big deal? Oh, you were wrong? Notice, people are terrified of being wrong, and it's because everyone's opinions are all out there now. So if you were wrong, people can point it out, and it undermines your credibility or your virtue, and it makes it, it makes it, people, they tack away from their joy, and it's sad. Who cares if you're wrong? Who cares if 2021 is worse than 2020, which it very well might be? At least hope it could be better for one goddamn night if you have a chance. I'm not on the toilet. How dare you? I would not stream on the toilet. I, I respect, I respect the, uh, the viewers too much to do that. Also, that's for OnlyFans. That's special premium OnlyFans content for when I start showing my hairy asshole to the internet. But that's not yet. We'll see. We'll see if it comes to that. Uh, for now, I'm good. Ah, 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 fuck. Uh, I do like the Revolutions podcast. I'm glad it's finally coming back. Poor Mike Duncan, man. I mean, I know that he he fell off the internet for a while there, and he was he missed his deadlines. I had no idea what the cause was. It turns out he had kidney stones. My God, miserable in the height of COVID. Brutal, poor guy. But apparently he's better now. And in January we're going to get more revolutions, which give me my slop. I'm a slop piggy too, just like everybody. I want my content, and I'm very excited. Uh, maybe you can have my. I'd like to talk to him again. We had a really good uh, episode a couple years ago. I'd like to talk to him again. So, I thought as the framing device for today's show, I would take some take advice from someone on uh, the subreddit that is devoted to these streams, which, yes, I have admitted in the past I look at. How can I not? It would be really weird if I didn't. 
where they said, inspired by the uh, flag discourse, if I could rate the state quarters. And I thought that was a great idea because I remember when the state quarters came out, I was a, I was a big fan. I, I avidly waited for the next ones. Uh, and it made me think, yeah, damn, we should go through these. Because I remember just being very mad at most of them for just being terribly designed. So I thought I'd go back and take a look. So I'm going to go through this year by year, which ones we have. We've got uh, 1999, the first quarter, is of course for the first state, Delaware. Uh, which, that's all they really have going for them, is that they were the first state to ratify the Constitution. And now they're essentially an offshore tax haven for corporations and insurance companies. Way to go. There's no reason that you should exist. They should be annexed by Pennsylvania or somebody and have their state government abolished, have their fucking chancery court burned to the ground. And, I mean, look what they've unleashed upon the world. Fucking the Delaware Method and Joe Biden are now going to be, uh, are going to be practicing their particular brand of uh, transactional politics. Uh, and, boy, it's going to be a nightmare. And it's just Caesar Rodney on a horse. Because what the fuck else are you going to talk about with Delaware? There's nothing to talk about. Unless you just wanted a picture of, like, uh, a P.O. box that for some, you know, holding company that is technically headquartered in Delaware but has no offices, that would be the ideal Delaware quarter. Instead, they have Caesar Rodney, who was the founding father who most famous is most famous for riding day and night uh, from the Continental, Con Continental Army uh, encampment to the Philadelphia uh, Continental Congress to give a report on the disposition of Washington's army, which helped bolster uh, the spines of the delegates who were wavering about whether or not to vote to declare independence from Great Britain. So it's like a key moment, and it's very dramatic. He shows up, he says, the army's good, we can win this thing, and people said yes. So Caesar Rodney, who had a face, he had face cancer. Face cancer! That's brutal. Hardcore. Imagine having face cancer in the fucking 1700s. Well, he got a stay quarter out of it. So, guy on a horse, how much, what could you say? Not that good. That's a C. That's, that's minimal effort. But Delaware, what else do you want him to give you? Uh, Pennsylvania, they just show the stupid state because they're so proud that it's shaped like a keystone. Oh my god, they're so proud. We're the keystone state. Our state happens to vaguely resemble a keystone of a building. Congratulations. And then they've got a liberty lady holding a stick, once again. And they have an actual keystone, just to remind you of why they call it that. Uh, and also to remind you that the state doesn't even really look that much like a keystone, and that the whole dumb thing is pretty forced. So, once again, C. Terrible. Yeah, everyone's talking about MF Doom. I, he's the guy who rapped about food and he wore a mask. Never listened to it. Don't know. Young MC is my favorite rapper, people. Uh, New Jersey is just, a, it's just Washington crossing the Delaware, which, hey, you can't fault them for. It's New Jersey. What are you going to do? Have, like, a body buried in, a, in the Pine Barrens or something? Uh, it's, a, it's a classic moment from American history. It's it's busy, but because it's a, a scene of action, it doesn't feel cluttered. It's pretty good. Not bad. Uh, Georgia, just the state shape and a peach. 
I mean, it kind of looks like an ass, so that's funny. But other than that, uh, pretty uninspiring. Connecticut gets credit because it's got that uh, the tree. The, it's it's got the tree, the the charter oak, and it's got all the big branches, and so it's at least got like a. Uh, it's a little symmetrical. I like it. It's the best of those, I would say, of the nineteen ninety nine ones. The best is definitely Connecticut with the tree. Uh, in two thousand. Uh, Massachusetts was just the stupid state. First of all, honestly, if you have the state shape, you're losing. Who cares? State shapes aren't interesting for the most part. Uh, and we know you should know what the states are shaped like anyway. Uh, and it's got a Minuteman. Oh, they're so proud of their dumb Minuteman. Once it's got a gun on it, which is kind of cool. Maryland has uh, just their fucking state dome and it says old line state. Oh, my God. Wow. Boring. South Carolina, once again, shape of the stupid state and a palmetto and a dumb bird. I don't like the collage ones at all. Uh, New Hampshire's is actually hilarious because it has the old man on the mountain, which shortly after the coin was released, uh, fell away and doesn't exist anymore. So uh, that has its own uh, special charm. And then Virginia, a uh, bunch of uh, uh, colonial ships coming in to Jamestown. I like boats. Boats are always good on a coin. Uh, none of these are terribly good, honestly. I guess I'd go with Virginia just because of the sails. But other than that, yeah, the mountain, the, the, the old man on the mountain is like, was a, was a face-shaped outcropping on a mountain that fell off, fell off a few years ago. So I give Virginia that one in 2000. In 2000. 2001, New York. It's uh, just the state shape, but instead, it's just like Massachusetts. State shape, and then instead of a Minuteman, it's the Statue of Liberty. Uh, boring, lame. Uh, North Carolina has the Kitty Hawk airplane, which always annoys me because both Ohio and North Carolina claim to be the state that was first in flight because the Wright brothers are from Ohio, and they designed the airplane in Ohio in their bicycle shop, but then they took it to the dunes of North Carolina to fly. In my mind... There should be some sort of adjudication on who gets to be the first in flight state. And honestly, I think Ohio has a better argument. The Wright brothers were sons of Ohio. They were sons of the industrious Midwest. They literally just went to North Carolina because it's, it was a big flat area they could fucking fly a plane on. Uh, so North Carolina, big demerits for stealing valor from Ohio there. Uh, Rhode Island, they got a sailboat and a bridge. Uh, reminding you that it's the state of boat shoe wearing rich motherfuckers. Uh, Vermont, just some literally trees and some asshole getting the maple syrup out of the trees. Weak. Uh, well, you tell me why the hell they did it into the fucking dunes then, asshole. Uh, and then Kentucky is just a horse and a horse barn. Wow, these are all, these suck. These are terrible. Don't like any of them. I guess. Because no, there's a boat on it, I'll go with Rhode Island. When in doubt, I'll, put a, I'll go with the boat. Uh, Kentucky, or Tennessee in 2002, is just their musical heritage. It literally just says musical heritage. And then there's a guitar and a fiddle and a trumpet. It's like, try to create a, a concept. Try to create some sort of tableau. Don't just throw things together. Ohio also has the kitty, has the fucking, uh, the Wright Brothers playing on it. Two states with the same fucking airplane on it, but then they also have an astronaut on there because a ton of the astronauts, including John Glenn, uh, and I believe Neil, Neil Armstrong, are from Ohio. 
And honestly, that, uh, that is a, a spike uh, in the face of North Carolina, that they don't, have, they, they don't just have a claim to airplanes, they have a claim to space travel. Louisiana just has, I love Louisiana. It's got uh, an outline of the United States, and then it has within it the purchase, which the vast majority of which is not Louisiana. You, you're, that, what, the, that's not, that's just a name, man. What the fuck? And then it's got a pelican and another trumpet, just like Tennessee has. Awful. God, how long do they think of these things? Indiana, the shape of Indiana, which, why would you want to fucking brag about Indiana's shape in any way? And then they've got a fucking uh, Formula One car because they have the Indian fi Indianapolis 500 there. Brutal. Depressing. Uh, Mississippi is the clear winner in 2002. It's a big, uh, a big bush of magnolias. It's, it's got, it's, it's, it's floral. It's nice. Mississippi definitely wins the 2003 two ones. Okay, Illinois, once again, shape. You're in bad shape there with the shape. But then they also have a barn on one side, and then they have the Willis Tower on the other, and then a young Abe Lincoln standing where Illinois is. I love Lincoln, as you guys know, uh, but I would have gone with just Lincoln's face or something, or like with the hat or something. Why do you have to do the shape of the stupid state? Alabama has hilariously Helen Keller just sitting in a chair, which if you know that she was a pretty committed communist, uh, is pretty funny that you've got the state of Alabama commemorating a commie. Uh, but as a design, very uninspired. Maine's got a lighthouse and a boat, which is nice. I like that. Missouri has the stupid uh, uh, gateway arch and Lewis and Clark on a little canoe. And Arkansas bafflingly has a giant diamond and then like a swamp. I guess, are there diamonds in Arkansas? Is, 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 it, is there some sort of mining operation in Arkansas that I'm not aware of? If anyone knows, anyone from Arkansas, do they mine diamonds there? It's a swamp diamond. Oh, Little Rock. Is that the rock they were talking about? Well, whatever. Uh, not very good. I got to give this one to Maine. The, the, the lighthouse is nice, and of course, it's got a boat in it. 2004, Michigan, just the Great Lakes. The outline of the mitten and then the Great Lakes themselves. Once again, those aren't your fucking lakes, okay? Yes, one of them is named after you, but they're not your fucking lakes. There's much the lakes of everybody else in that region of the country. Don't, don't be fucking stealing them. Okay, apparently there are diamonds in the Ozarks. Okay, interesting. Uh, so yeah, fuck you at Michigan trying to take the whole fucking Great Lakes for yourself. Uh, Florida, terrible. Uh, palm tree, uh, like clipper ship, and then a space shuttle, because that's where Cape Canaveral is. Terrible. Just put a big orange in there or something, or fucking Mickey Mouse. I know they'd love to do that. Uh, Texas, what a shock. Just the shape of Texas, and then their big stupid star. I'm not the only one who noticed this, of course, but... Doesn't the, the star on the Texas flag just look like an asshole? Uh, someone's asking about if we talked about in the, the Republic for which it stands. Uh, we did talk about it yesterday. After this, I'm going to talk about it a little more. Because I want to talk a little bit more about the Panic of 1873 uh, and how it happened. It's pretty interesting. Uh, so then we got Iowa, Little Red Schoolhouse, Foundation and Education, Dorks. Might as well just say nerds. Might as well just say this is a state for dorks and nerds. 
Poindexter State. Uh, and then Wisconsin, which I have to say, one of the worst there is. It's just a stoop. It's a cow's head and then a wheel of cheese and then an ear of corn. And then the state motto forward. Embarrassing. Embarrassing all around. You got the cheese and the cow. You can't commit to one or the other. They're both dairy related. Uh, this is a terrible year. All of these are bad. I hesitate to even pick a favorite. Uh, I guess I, ha I hate to say it, but I guess I got to go with Texas just because that star, if any, at least is a, you know, is a stark symbol as opposed to the cluttered bullshit in the rest of these. Oh, yeah, that's right. That happened a year after one of the fucking <laughs> space shuttles blew up in the atmosphere. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Florida stays winning. California, uh, you got John Muir looking at Yosemite, lame, cluttered. Why not just use the condor? Why not just put a California condor on there? They got the little condor in the background. Just do the condor. Lame. Minnesota, the stupid shape, and then a lake. Guess what, bitch? Wisconsin has more lakes than Minnesota. I don't know if you people are aware of that, and I don't know. I told this to a person from Minnesota once, and they refused to believe me. Look at the fuck up. Wisconsin has more lakes than Minnesota. Oregon, uh, Crater Lake, nice lake, some trees, serene, not bad, evocative, not cluttered, but hard to beat Kansas, just a good old fucking, see, Kansas is great because you've got a buffalo, but then you've got a little sunflower, which is the state flower, right next to it, so you get an ev evocation of the state, you get the landscape, or I mean, you get like the flora and fauna, and it's historic, it's, it's history, you don't have to have the stump shape, the square shape, um, and then West Virginia is a bridge over the New River Gorge, which is nice, but a little cluttered. But yeah, nothing's beating Kansas. Kansas is definitely number one on that one. Uh, 2006. Nevada. Nevada is very busy, but I actually kind of like it. It's a bunch of wild horses stampeding across a desert with a rising sun in the background. It says the Silver State on it. It's good. I like, I like Nevada. Uh... And then you got Nebraska, you got Conestoga Wagons and Chimney Rock and, and some sun. Uh, I mean, it's basically doing the same thing kind of the Nevada is, but less interestingly and less dynamically because the, the, the wagon train looks like statues. It doesn't look like it's in motion as opposed to the horses that look like they're in full gallop. Colorado, you got a hill, you got a big mountain, of course. It's the Rockies, kind of no-brainer there. North Dakota also has buffalo, like Kansas does, but two buffalo with the sun, way more busy, not nearly as good. So not only is it the second buffalo quarter, it's the less distinctive, less well-designed buffalo quarter. So North Dakota stays losing. South Dakota, Mount Rushmore, which, by the way, has anyone been to Mount Rushmore? I mean, I know obviously that it's a horrifying cultural crime. It's like, it's essentially, we did an end zone dance to celebrate our ethnic cleansing of the Black Hills by taking a sacred mountain and carving our greatest war criminals onto it. But forget the politics. If you ever go, it is insanely underwhelming. You, you go out onto this promontory, like this big parking lot, and there's fucking uh, bathrooms and gift shops, and then there's just a big flat plain, and you just look across a little gully, and then there's the, the outcropping, and then you look at it, and it's exactly what you think it is. And it's not that big even doesn't look that imposing. 
It's lame. It sucks. Gustav Borglum was a fucking uh, clan member uh, hack piece of shit. It's, t it's one of our least impressive uh, pieces of national monument. Really sucks. Thumbs down. Uh, of these, I will go with Nevada for sure with the, with the horses. Uh, 2007. Montana is badass. It's got a fucking, uh, it's got a, st uh, a steer skull with the horns and then uh, some mountains in the background. Washington's got a jumping fish and a little hill and, a, and then water. Idaho, a bird and then the shape of the state. Boring. Wyoming has is a great one. It's an outline of a lady cowgirl bucking on a bronco. And it says the Equality State, uh, which of course it's known as because it was the first state to allow women to vote, which it did as an enticement to get them to move there because like many Western states, it had a wild gender imbalance in its early days. And then Utah, nothing, not the Beehive. I would have thought the Beehive would have been a no-brainer. Instead, they go with Transcontinental Railroad and the, and the, and the spike uh, at... Uh, at the cross, what the fuck was it called? Promontory Point? Promontory Point, right? Something like that. Uh, gotta go here with, yeah, I'll go with Wyoming. I like, I like the, the cowgirl. It tells a story. And then finally, the last year, 2008, um, we got Oklahoma, we got a bird and some flowers. New Mexico points for their great symbol from their wonderful flag, points against because it's laid up against a stupid state background, which when you're a big square state, there's the least reason to put your state shape on there. It's a fucking square. Who gives a shit? Uh, uh, what is Arizona's? Oh, there's Arizona. Oh, the Grand Canyon, of course, that's a no-brainer. Although, honestly, the Grand Canyon depiction isn't very good. It doesn't really look like a canyon. It kind of looks like a mountain. So they don't eat, they kind of bungled, bungled it. Alaska, big old bear with fucking salmon in his mouth. That's pretty good. I like the bear. And then Hawaii is, I think, King Kamehameha holding out his arm and then the archipelago. I kind of give Hawaii, uh, I give them, of any of the states, they're the ones who I, I understand putting the shape in there the most because it's a bunch of islands. But I got to go with Alaska there with the bear. Uh so that's, so if the best ones are Alaska, Wyoming, Nevada, Kansas, uh, Texas, Maine, Mississippi, Rhode Island, Virginia, and Connecticut, I think my favorite Honestly, I think my favorite is Kansas. I think it's Kansas. I think that's my favorite one. I think in a future one, I'm going to do the president quarters, which happened shortly after these. They did the, all, this, all the quarters. I don't even know if they, got, they did them all, though, because I think they might have stopped. I'm not sure. Let me see if they did the whole thing. All right, they were dollar coins.
Yeah, they did all of them. They did everybody up to George H.W. Bush, but they haven't done one since that's the last one they did. Let me just, I'll just look through these and see if any of them are good. Uh, the Nixon one is hilarious. It doesn't look like him at all. Uh, these are all pretty underwhelming. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's just a bunch of white guys. Uh, the Van Buren one is nice because they get his amazing haircut. Yeah, they're all pretty boring. So there we go. Those are the state quarters. None of them are very good. It's amazing. Those states had a long time to think of them. They often had, like, contests to decide, and that's all they came up with was mostly very uninspiring collages, which really tells you what you get from group uh, artistic decision-making. So, right. But now let's talk about the Panic of 1873, which led to the longest economic contraction in American history, over 60 months straight of economic contraction, in part because... Uh, the liberal orthodoxy of the of the dominant Republican Party uh, refused to increase the money supply uh, and inject cash into the economy, which led to contraction and deflation uh, and helped kill Reconstruction. Because the election of 1872, which saw uh, Republican governments take power in many southern states, was relatively violence-free compared to many of the other post-Civil War southern elections. Uh, but then the election of 1878 uh, was marked by a convulsion of violence and a uh, return to democratic rule in most of them. And a lot of it was because the Republican project was invalidated in the minds of uh, the uh, small holding white and poor white population because the fucking election failed or because the, the economy had failed, and it didn't have to. It didn't have to, goddammit. But anyway, what caused it to happen uh, was that the... So the Civil War saw the biggest accumulation of capital in America since the, since the uh, Revolution, uh, which is what happens when you have a big war. Uh, we have talked about that before, about how the Napoleonic War is what created the like the capital dynamo that that burst uh english industrial dominance and that a similar thing happened in the united states but after the war there had to be something to uh take the place of of that spending of that of that investment that used to go into procuring and producing uh material for the war and that was the building of railroads, both through the, the reconstructed South and into the West. And it was accomplished by the government subsidizing private corporations to essentially just take land along the route uh, and giving it to them. Uh, and that those, the, the economic engine of the economy, the, the, the paper that underwrote the economy, because we weren't yet on the gold standard yet, it, it's it still took time, uh, is, uh, was 
railroad bonds uh, were, were, were bonds that railroads sold uh, in order to finance construction and expansion and purchasing of other railroads because there was a drive towards monopolization in every level of the railroad economy. But the thing about it was is that the more bonds you sold, the more interest you had to pay on the bonds, and that necessitated if you didn't have a profit if you didn't have like a profit engine undergirding the business, which many most of these railroads didn't, they were, did not make money any more than Silicon Valley makes money now. Uh, and that meant that they had to sell more bonds, more new bonds. And the, the new bond money from people purchasing bonds today paid for the interest in the old bonds that other people had purchased. And there was a economic, a sharp uh, stock market collapse in Europe, first in Vienna, and then shock waving out throughout the rest of Europe, then hitting the United Kingdom, which is where most foreign capital was coming into the United States. And that led to a reduction in demand for American railroad bonds. And once there was nobody there to buy the new bonds, there was nobody there, there was no money to pay for the interest on the old bonds. And all of these railroads just went into receivership almost overnight. And that engine that was keeping the economy going was keeping demand for steel and lumber uh, and was providing speculative uh, opportunities for Wall Street uh, went away. And you read that and you think, my God, how could anybody let that happen? It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a mother, someone says, does that count as a Ponzi scheme? Essentially. And the thing about it is that's everything now. That is, that's the essence of finance, is that it's all paying new money. It's all using new money to pay for old debts. That was the essence of the um, uh, that was the essence of the uh, real estate collapse in 2008 too. Money, there was, there, was a sh there was a reduction in the flow of new money to pay uh, for uh, all the bets that have been placed on these mortgages. And as soon as that happens, the whole thing shudders to a halt. It's inevitable, boom and bust. It's, it can't be done away with with, it, with, uh, with capitalism. It's an intrinsic part of it. And the funny thing about people who love the gold standard, not 70, by 70, in, the, in the panic of 73, there was no gold standard. Not yet, anyway. But there was a huge collapse in uh, 1892, I believe, which was during the gold standard. And then, of course, the Great Depression happened under the gold standard, too. Um, it, it is amazing. Gold, gold buggery is one of the least defensible, one of the least, like, coherent, intellectually uh, compelling uh, fetishes you can have. It is pure and very blatant ideology. And it's kind of astounding that there are still people who fixate upon it. And I think it boils down to the fact that as much as capitalists like to make fun of socialists for saying, oh, we haven't really had socialism, nothing's been tried, uh, that every single time at capitalism causes mass immiseration, there has to be an explanation, and it always boils down to, well, you're not doing capitalism right. And as I have said, the same forces that pushed for the gold standard 
are the same ones that coordinated the move over to a Federal Reserve system and the end of gold convertibility and then the end of the gold standard in, in general. It was, it was not the government doing that. It was not some sort of big government colossus that is anyway inextricably linked to finance capital. It was finance capital. It was to their advantage at every point. And the gold standard now is just a thing, a, a, a fantasy alternative. And honestly, you know, the, the bimetallism of the populists was a similar thing. But that's because they weren't able to imagine a economic uh, reality outside of capitalism. And so what if we put some silver in there and increase the money supply it became sort of the signal reform, but it was generate it was motivated more just by wanting there to be an alternative, wanting there to be something other than what was not working. When the fact is, is that what had to go, what had to get rid of it was the end of that system. I chant and I sing of Brian, 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 candidate for president who sketched a silver Zion. I read that Vasha Lindsay poem about the Brian campaign, like, fuck, eight months ago now, on a, when I was doing these on Instagram. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I mean, yes, there was there was a nationalization as part of it, but, you know, limited nationalization is still capitalism. I mean, like the French model is more socialistic than ours, but it's still it is still a mixed economy. It's just the degree of mix. But no, the uh, the silver, the silver bugs were definitely better than the gold bugs. I mean, the gold buggery at that time was pure and has always been pure reaction, uh, whereas there is like a progressive motivation at the heart of the, the silver movement. Um, was William Jennings Bryan the silver, the Gilded Age Bernie? I mean, the closest thing, yeah. Definitely. And he was a guy who, like Bernie, started out as a third-party guy. He was nominated by the Populist Party for president. And it was a deal where the Democrats... Shit. Ah, fuck. It was where the Democrats, so as not to be outflanked, nominated him too which uh, is also what happened in 1872 with Horace Greeley, who was nominated by the third-party liberal Republicans, and then the Democrats nominated him too, just because he was an alternative to Republicanism, basically. And the Democrats at that point in the North, which is where they were you know, electorally coherent, uh, had no real raison d'etre besides you know, opposing, um, opposing Reconstruction on behalf of their Southern constituents. Which Greeley, by that point, wanted to do away with. The liberal Republicans in general wanted to sell out the freedmen completely and move on. It is funny to imagine Horace Greeley getting elected and then they're just dying right away. I am not sitting on the toilet. Good Lord. Who are these people with... Uh, with Whose bathroom has a window directly behind the shitter? You people are freaks. Modern Vampires, somebody is asking about. I've never heard of this movie. They, all I saw is they said squibs. You have my interest. Now you have my attention. 
But it's amazing when you read the, uh, the history of the railroads specifically in the way that, that they were wildly subsidized to no good end. Like there, there was at no, there is no rational justification for the way that the U.S. went about funding railroad construction after the Civil War. The only thing, the only way any of it makes sense is bribery was fraud. But the ones doing the bribing and the fraud, fraud were largely the same people who were condemning Tammany and, uh, and Graft essentially because some of that money went to the, the, you know, jobs for the teeming Irish masses in the cities and not to the, not to the, you know, uh, uh, well-ordered Protestant homes of stock speculators. And that's why any alternative reconstruction would have required a, a force would have required a coherent, organized political, uh, a self-interested political coalition whose interest was not could not be bought off, essentially, because that's the problem with the working class uh, in the United States at that point, is that due to the fact that it was largely ethnically and religiously segregated, and the fact that it was stuck into ghettos in cities like Boston and Philadelphia and New York is that they could be and were handled on a client basis and that prevented them from doing any real like class-based organizing that came later but uh by that point you know capital uh, accumulation had become so successful and so hedge had so leviathanic that their ability to fight it was much uh much worse Uh, somebody was asking about Grant's, Grant's third term. He did try to run for a third term. Uh, and I like the way that Richard White puts it in the book where he says that uh, Grant was sort of reluctant to run for president because he didn't feel like he was prepared for it. But then he, needed, he felt he needed to run for a third term because he wasn't prepared to do anything else. But it's hard to imagine if he'd gotten that third term, anything would have been... Better. I mean, the uh, Compromise of 1877, which formally ended Reconstruction, was, of course, a death knell for progress in this country. But by that point, it's hard to imagine it, uh, anything else going, the anything else happening, uh, even if you hadn't had that occur, because the, the political will in the North for any further expenditure of men or money to uh, maintain black rights in the South was completely exhausted. And... Like, the thing that changes that, hypothetically, if we're talking about wish casting, is not anything that happens that late in the game. It's things that happen very, very early after the war. Things that allow uh, black economic and political power to be uh, organized, harnessed, and asserted and uh, in the immediate aftermath of the war, which would have created a momentum of its own and changed political calculations, made, for example, the black vote in the South something that was uncontestable, uh, something that couldn't be neutralized by terror and by uh, manipulation by former Confederates because there would have been enough at the early stages federal support and federal protection for freedmen and freedwomen 
to allow for the building of economic and political institutional power. And again, I don't know if that's possible in this country in, with, the, with the material we had, but it, couldn't, it certainly was not going to happen with Andrew Johnson as president. And as much as Lincoln was a man of his time, he was also a man uh, who, unlike Johnson, could change his fucking mind. And his views on things like the ability of blacks and whites to uh, live side by side had radically changed from the way they were at the beginning of the war. And there were enough Northerners who had, had been changed by the experience of fighting the war who in, the very after, in that moment, in that moment of triumph, could have made different decisions collectively that could have had a cumulative effect. Uh, anyway... It's certainly fun to think about. It's certainly more fun to think about than the future of the actual world we live in. <laughs> Which might explain why I'm so drawn to it. Grant was kind of a himbo. He was not as dumb as he's remembered historically. He was, I mean, he was militarily very adept and he was... And he had a uh, aptitude for for military grand strategy that was superior to most of his opponents. Certainly more than Lee. Lee, of course, wildly overrated. Lee was a was a pretty good tactician, uh, but part of that was the fact that he was mostly fighting against overmatched political hacks for a large part of the war, uh, and you know buffoons like McClellan. I mean, my God. How are you going to fucking take credit for beating George McClellan? The guy basically didn't want the Union to win, for Christ's sake. How the hell are you going to take credit for that? I mean, like, there's a whole theory that the, uh, that the Howe brothers, the, who were the naval and, uh, and army commanders of the, of the British uh, colonial military during uh, the American Revolution, uh, who, and who were both Freemasons and, and Whigs, uh, were basically kind of rooting for the colonists and weren't trying that hard, which kind of explains how the uh, they, the uh, colonialists were able to avoid destruction so many times, most notably uh, after the Battle of uh, Brooklyn, when uh, Howe had a chance to absolutely wipe out Washington's army and took so goddamn long to cross over from Staten Island to Manhattan that it gave... Washington chant, uh, time to escape uh, to the mainland. There's a similar thing with McClellan. I mean, not only was he a Democrat who hated Lincoln, uh, opposed emancipation, uh, but after he got dismart, discharged, he ran against Lincoln in 1864 on a peace platform, on a let the South secede platform. How the hell are you going to give Lee that much credit for beating him, especially since he didn't even beat him that many times? He fucking lost tactically almost every one of the seven days battles, and then McClellan would just retreat because he was he always believed he was outnumbered. And then, of course, uh, he couldn't even he he was battled to a draw at Antietam. Anyway, he was okay t t tactically, but he was a strategic nincompoop. He invaded the North twice. N who 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 could look? at the disposition of forces of the Confederacy versus the Union and the South versus the North and say we should be invading the North. That's madness. You are, you are, you are outnumbered. You are vastly less resources, vastly fewer, popu vastly smaller population. You fight attrition. 
You make you fight until they can't fight anymore. You do not spend men and material, what, trying to take Washington, D.C., you fucking dumbass? It's funny, Engels knew from the fucking, the day the war started, no, you win the war by going through, going from the West and cutting through Georgia. You who gives a shit about Richmond? Why are you taking, Richmond is just the capital, it's just a bunch of fucking buildings. It's, it's, it's some buildings and some boxes of files. You can put them on a horse and ride them away. So... So Grant was definitely a better strategic thinker than Lee was, but he was not a great political thinker. I mean, most of these generals weren't. Like, if they were, they would have been fucking politicians, you know? And of those, like, of those generals who take the reins, none of them really are political minds. Washington wasn't a political mind. Um, Grant wasn't a political mind. Uh, Eisenhower was not. The difference between the three of those is that Washington essentially had, he was there to lend his credibility to the enterprise and to assuage all of the wary colonies, former colonies, that nobody was going to be overawed by this federal government because the, everyone trusted President General Washington. Because he had had the chance to be king and turned it down. He was the Cincinnatus. And... Um, Eisenhower was able to preside over what was essentially a bipartisan political economic consensus as like deeply entrenched in its way as neoliberalism is now. Uh, but as I said yesterday, Grant was, was, was coming onto a scene of, of absolute uh, protean uh, liquidity, and he was not really the man for it. I mean, I don't necessarily think that you need, like, a Lincoln third term or anything if he doesn't get assassinated. Hey, maybe he gets assassinated somewhere in his second term. But then you need an actual politician, an actual radical Republican to be president. And more importantly than because of their individual, um, you know, values or anything, what they represent of a coalition, like the interest, because Grant was not... Uh, indebted in any way to the radical Republicans. He was standing sort of on top this rickety collection of, of uh, Republicans of the liberal and stalwart radical and conservative types. He did not really represent any one faction. As you would have needed somebody who actually did represent the radicals. And not just the radicals, represented the economic radicals among them. Because there were plenty of radical Republicans who were fully down with laissez-faire. But yeah, Benjamin Wade, Benjamin Wade would have been better. So another, another what if that we dodged was what if they'd fucking one vote away from impeaching, one vote away from impeaching fucking uh, Johnson. And then you get r radical fucking Republican Benjamin Wade as president. Uh, but sadly for him, a lot of people knew that and didn't want him to be president and were betting on Grant. So they, that was one of the reasons that he, they couldn't get Johnson out. But yeah, you need, you need to not have Johnson in there at all. Just throwing, a, literally just throwing a fucking spanner in the works. 
Who's the best Confederate 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 general? I mean, Stonewall Jackson was really good. There's no, there's he was a fucking psycho and an asshole, but he was he knew what he was doing. And uh, more more even than his like tactical brilliance was the fact that he could, uh, he was able to master the the um, rapid deployment of infantry, which was very difficult during that period. Uh, you know, they called him foot cavalry because of how fast Jackson could get his guys around. And that was a huge, I mean, that's essentially, that was not, that was a large percentage of Napoleon's innovation was his ability to take the uh, increased mobility of uh, a, of a Republican military force that had uh, esprit de corps that came from a shared mission, as opposed to the collection of mercenaries and, and conscripts that made up, uh, you know, European, uh, old royal militaries and use that to make them move much, much faster. So, and that allowed him much more maneuverability relative to his opponents. And Jackson had that same thing. Uh, I like think I like talking about the worst Confederates more though. Uh, John Bell Hood might've been the very worst of all of them, just in terms of how disastrously terrible. I mean, he's more responsible for the burning of Atlanta and the destruction that Sherman wrought than almost anybody, because he destroyed his army. Uh, people talk about the idiocy of Pickett's charge, which was, of course, idiotic, and, and another of and many pieces of evidence that Lee was the fucking overrated hack. But at least Pickett's charge was preceded by a huge, hours-long uh, artillery bombardment that was theoretically supposed to destroy uh, the center of the... Union force and allow them to just kind of march through it. It didn't work. They, they were firing over the heads most of the time, but fucking Porter Alexander, but it at least had an idea. At, at, uh, at Franklin, John Bell Hood sent his army against the fixed, in, uh, in, uh, the fixed position of uh, Thomas with no artillery prom, uh, bombardment whatsoever. Just sent him into the fucking thresher and destroyed his whole army in the process killed like 13 generals, I believe. So as you can imagine, he's one of my favorite Confederate generals. And I do think it's funny that two of our big military bases that are named after Confederate generals that we're supposed to be mad about, and it is fucked up that they are the, that that's what we did name them, but are Hood and Bragg, and those are two of the biggest fuck-ups in the whole goddamn Confederate army. I'll tell you the one I hate hearing too, hearing about it all, is fucking Patrick Claiborne. People can shove that mick up their fucking ass. Shut the fuck up about that fucking shanty Irish asshole. Because he is every, every soft Confederate apologist's favorite Confederate general because he said, hey, let's uh, emancipate the slaves and have them fight for us. Why would they do that? I don't know. I'm He's sitting over here eating a potato like an apple. Don't fucking ask me. And of course, all the other Confederates told him he was an idiot and told him to shut the fuck up because it was a dumb idea. And it, it was unconnected to everything. And he got murked at fucking, uh, uh, at Franklin and good riddance to him. Jeb Stewart, uh, another uh, dandy shithead. Oh, he, he did, he had some very impressive cavalry theatrics because of course the, the horse fucking uh, uh, gentry loved their horses. But he was MIA for the first two days of Gettysburg when Lee needed him most, which helped lead him into a, a blindly blundering in to Meade's forces. And then he got his ass killed at Yellow Tavern. Good riddance to bad 
rubbish. Ah. I do go back and forth about Meade and whether or not he should have attacked Lee after Gettysburg. I mean, I totally get that they were really mauled, but fuck. Lee was even more mauled. And when you think of how long it took to drive him down after that and how many, how many dead there were, it's hard to imagine it going that much worse. William Mahone is an interesting character because he was a Confederate general and well... Uh, regarded one who, like James Longstreet, became a Republican after the war, a scalawag, as they called him, but even more so, in the 1890s, headed a uh, multiracial populist political organization in Virginia that opposed the Bourbon reactionary Democrats. And, if, and when you think about guys like that, and there were not, oh, there were not a few of them. There were not a, there were not a few ex-Confederates who, who, who ended up, after the war, uh, supporting the Reconstruction governments and becoming Republicans. I mean, my God, Albert Parsons, one of the uh, one of the Haymarket martyrs, was a Confederate veteran. Uh, when you consider how many of them there were in the context of the you know shitty and uh, economically exploitative Reconstruction we got, imagine how many we could have had. Imagine how many more there would have been in a context where the Reconstruction of the South was economically uh, revitalizing instead of, you know, exploitative, where everybody who, who was not a slave owner and a plantation owner got land and got a chance to prosper as smallholders the way that you were supposed to do in the North. There, were, there was plenty of, uh, there was a lot of potential. There was ferment. Things didn't have to go the way they did. I really believe that. They definitely should have hung uh, Jeff Davis. There's no question about that. I mean, they should have hung, I mean, you don't want to get too bloodthirsty, but they should have hung most of the Confederate leadership. The cabinet, for sure. They obviously should have banned anybody who served in the government from ever voting again. I mean, that's a no-brainer. And obviously, 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 anybody who owned land, anybody who owned plantation should have had it taken from them. Sherman was a good strategic mind, but he wasn't very good tactically. He he would get he would get in his head about the opponent, uh, and and he would kind of second guess himself and double clutch. He does like his his battles, uh, dur his his battles during the march to the sea and the and to Atlanta and then the sea aren't terribly uh, impressive. Like I said, uh, a lot of it was facilitated by the fact that. The, the armies of the West were getting mauled by uh, the Army of the Cumberland and, and Franklin and Nashville. The difference between strategies and tactics is, so, like, the Anaconda plan that Winfield Scott devised at the beginning of the war to defeat the South, naval blockade, split it in half, that's a strategy. Tactics are, uh, like, at Chancellorsville, for example, when faced with superior numbers of um, that was Pope, right? Yeah, Pope's army. He split his forces and had uh, uh, Stonewall Jackson like do a 
surprise flank attack. That's a tactic. But, yeah, Sherman didn't do great. Like, batter, like Kennesaw Mountain and stuff, he, he, was, he was prone to sort of wasting troops and direct frontal assaults. If I wasn't a podcaster, what would my dream career be? I thought about that, and I think I'd like to direct a movie. Which is pathetic because the art form is dying, as all art forms are now. Anything that requires capital is, uh, is going down the tubes. But I would like to direct a movie. And I think I'd be a good teacher, too. If I, I mean, I want to talk about more realistically. I could probably get a certificate or something. I don't, I mean, probably, yeah, get like a teaching certificate, be a cool sub. I could do that. Well, if podcasting is an art form, what makes it so is its low capital investment. Homeless alcoholic? I mean... Possibly. I wouldn't last long, I don't think. I got a limp. I would be easy meat. There might be a pot if 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 uh, if Spotify eats the world the way they're trying to on podcasting, there might end up being like a podcaster's guild. Or like a union, which of course would be the, that's the trajectory of all artisanal forms of uh, labor being, being turned, being, being proletarianized. Yeah, my, my dream project would be to write direct something about the Mothman. Mothman and MK Ultra. Someone is saying that having citizenship based to property ownership is uh, is doomed uh, and dooms liberty. Correct. Uh, and that's one of those things that would have had to have been destroyed by the, the by the contradictions of the of the post Civil War era being heightened and sharpened faster. Like it would, you would not have had. I I really think that like a successful Reconstruction would not in any sense be peaceful. It would in fact be it would be a more explicit war. It would it would be a more it would be another stage of violence because it was a stage of violence. It's just the violence was mostly carried out against former slaves and so therefore was able to be absorbed by the political uh, consensus pretty easily because these were people who were not really considered citizens by most people, even if they might have technically acquired citizenship by the post-war 
uh, constitutional amendments. You would have you would have seen violence. It just would have been, uh, it would have in fact been more widespread. It would have, but it would have involved uh, violence against uh, recalcitrant former slave owners and and the people that they could whip up into uh, militarily supporting them. And it would have hopefully ended with the uh, destruction of the constitutional order, which is why I don't think Lincoln would have done it because Lincoln loved the Constitution, and I think he would have. Not have been the one to preside over its destruction, but somebody would have, because if the contradictions had been brought to the fore, if, if black citizenship and, and, and personhood was more firmly established as something that a, even if it's a thin majority, a majority of northern whites uh, supported, the Constitution would have been shown to be unviable, and the property-based conception of freedom would have been unviable, and it would have had to be replaced by something else. Not, not socialism, there would have not been any forces for that, but something that had more uh, flexibility to it and something that allowed for a force beyond mere bribery to determine uh, the shape of political economy, which is what the, we ended up getting. Uh, the Civil War created a new class of finance capitalists who were sitting on uh, government bonds and then railroad bonds, and those men bought... The government, as surely as the oligarchs bought the post-Soviet government. And the only thing that would have stopped that from happening is a, a coalition of political will that would have been asserting common rights, not property rights. Oh, someone's asking about us, uh, the Try Hard Christmas episode. Thank you for liking that. I know a lot of people don't like those because they're very inside baseball and it's all references, but if we only do like one a year, I don't feel like that's too much to ask, to be indulgent once in a while, to have a little fun, you know, a little reward for the people who have uh, who've spent too much time listening to us over the year, you know? Uh, but we, it was me, Chris, and, and uh, Will... We, we sat down and we, we punched out a script and then uh, we basically allowed Felix, once we recorded it, to just riff. So he, he wrote most of his own lines as, we was, as he was reading them because he is uh, the riff master, unparalleled. Whereas I mostly stuck to the script because when I'm doing a character or a voice, it's hard for me to improvise too much. Class consciousness is an idea. Someone asks, is class consciousness is idealism? Idealism is the idea, is the idea that ideas are what change things. 
people have it, but, but everyone is operating off of ideas every day. It's just that those ideas are shaped by their material reality. People with who people who are exploited, people who are working class, they are, they are whether they are aware of it or not, subject to capitalism, subject to capital exploitation, are immiserated by it in some way or another, but they might not be aware of it. Coming into awareness of that will change their actions, but you don't get a permanent change of conditions until people coordinate their activities relative to their role in the productive mechanism by, for example, withdrawing their labor collectively. And then by doing that, you establish new structures and new relationships and a new mode of production. And then that generates new ideas. The thing is, is that you can't separate them completely. You can't separate structure. Super, base superstructure are not separate concepts. Like I said, it's like muscle and bone. If you take the bone out, the muscle will just turn into a pile. But if you take out, take, pull the muscle away, you just have a skeleton. It can't dance. It can't do anything. They are fully inextricably linked. And uh, that's why, like, trying to label things and fixating on whether or not something is idealist or, or, or materialist, that gets... The only reason that that happens, I think, is because people are mostly just arguing. People are mostly just trying to argue about things, and so they need labels to pick the good things from the bad things. They're not applying ideas to their lives. And so anything they do in that world, no matter how materialist they insist it's, it is, will end up just being idealist talking points and, 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 uh, and hypothetical uh, uh, gabbing. Like when you say hey, like Marx is Hegel on its head, the the head and the they're still real, you know. But if you turn something upside down, it doesn't mean that the side that was up is no longer doesn't exist anymore. It's just on a, it's at a different level of uh, it's at a different point of uh, it's just at a different point relative to to the other ideas. Like it's all it's all part of the same thing, non dualism. Like if we're just talking about like identifying strands to analyze, but if it's just an analysis, it doesn't mean anything anyway. It has to be action. It has to be. Uh, it has to filter into your life and the decisions you make with other people. Do you think that psych this will be the last question. Do you think that psychedelics will ever have a formal position in society? I hope so, honestly. Uh, I don't want to, you know, be a fucking uh, 60s dipshit or Timothy Leary or anything, but in my experience, psychedelics are more uh, can be anyway, a more effective uh, therapeutic mechanism than most of our uh, regime of uh, of formal 
like pharmaceuticals, which are mo- which mostly exist as like instrumentally to make people functional within a dysfunctional society. Like a, a, a functional society, drugs of all kinds would be assessed for their, for their use, not as to make somebody like productive, but to make somebody actually heal. But certainly not our society. Like if we do, if there is some, and I think there probably will be a move towards decriminalizing psychedelics, but that's if, the, but that will end up just being the same thing that we've seen with marijuana which is another uh, form of uh, indulgence, another, another form of escape, another way to keep people from uh, feeling too much their alienation, but not allowing them away outside of it. But yeah, I would I would I would imagine something where you have like psychedelics, you know, in a therapeutic framework where they are taking taken like in conjunction with a uh, like a coaching system or shamanically, but not just for you know uh, Silicon Valley assholes who could afford to go to Chile for an ayahuasca experience for anybody who needed it. All right, guys, gals, I hope everyone has a good New Year's Eve, if you can. I know everyone's in COVID hell, but uh, if you can have fun, try to. Uh, and yeah, you know what? 2021 will probably be a veil of tears, but you don't know yet. Uh, have fun if you can. Bye-bye.